Amen. You can have a seat. You know, we've sung a variety of worship songs this morning already, and worship songs, they say very different things depending on the song. Some of the songs that we sing are really designed for praise, right? We're talking about the nature of God, that He deserves glory, that He is awesome, uh, that He's creator, all those things that that we talk about the, the nature of who God is, and we express praise, so we're talking to God. Those are really powerful songs. And there are other songs that are all about thanking God. So we thank God for creation. We thank God because He sent Jesus. We thank God for life itself. We thank God for eternal life. All of those things are thanksgiving songs, and they're important as well because they develop a sense of gratefulness in us when we have a tendency to be dissatisfied with life. And then there are other songs that are about repentance, where we go to God and we say, listen, we know that we are sinners. We know that we need forgiveness. And God, you're the only place where we can find that forgiveness. So we're talking to God, not to make ourselves feel bad necessarily, but to ask God for forgiveness and to ask him to change us. And then there are other songs that look into the future, and we're anticipating what God is going to do in the future. We're thinking about spending eternity with God. Now, the thing about that is there's those four different kinds, and there's more. And it's easy for us to sometimes turn up the dials on some of those and then nearly turn off some of those voices, which can be bad for us. I mean, we may enjoy praising God and, and, and talking about who he is and never thinking about our own sin. Or we may want to thank God because he's done something powerful in our lives recently. But because we're so excited about that, we don't anticipate what God will do. And really what we need to do is keep some of that in balance from Sunday to Sunday and express all of those different things to God. And I think that's why it's good good for us to come back to the language of Scripture. And that's what we've been doing over the past few weeks. We've been looking at some language of worship that we find in the book of Isaiah. And I've called this Rock in the Oldies because... Hang on Uh, these are very old songs, and they go back before the time of Jesus even. So for Jesus, these were old worship songs. And they really span a different variety of songs that people in the Bible could sing to God, and I think they speak to us in our day. So we hear Isaiah speaking these words, and we've been really skipping around. It's a very long book, and it talks about lots of different things. But the point is, Isaiah is speaking to the people of Judah, and he's saying to them, listen, you're not following what God has asked you to do. And because of that, you're going to face punishment, exile. They had all of these problems sort of facing them at once. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm in the middle of one crisis, I'm usually okay, right? I can can deal with that one problem. That's my priority. All my resources are going to go to solving that problem. My difficulty comes when there's two or three problems at one time, because then my attention is divided. My resources are divided. I'm dealing with this thing, and then this thing pops up, and i got to go over here, and that's when I don't always know what to do and don't handle it well, and frankly, might not be that pleasant to be around, if you can possibly imagine that, right? Because we're, we're bothered by all those things, and that's the way the people of Judah were in the moment that Isaiah was prophesying. They had all these things going wrong and really almost no way to solve any of it. And so Isaiah speaks into this, speaks into a time when lots of people were saying, things are just so bad, right? 
Now, I can remember really my whole life having people around me who are saying, man, things are getting worse and worse. This world is just going down the tubes. We've always got somebody who's saying that, and sometimes it feels that way. We look around at the culture and see a decline, or we look in our nation and feel like things aren't headed in the right direction. Maybe even in the church or personally in our families, we, we think things are just not like they used to be, and I don't really like it, okay? Well... The people of Israel sort of felt that too. And frankly, things were pretty bad for them in this moment. They were facing threats from nations around them. They were facing the judgment of God. And they needed hope. And that's the word that Isaiah spoke to them. And so today I want us to hear his word of hope. Because Isaiah was able to look past the sin that God was calling the people from in the present. Okay? God kept calling them back and they kept ignoring him. And the exile, the punishment of God that was coming in the future, Isaiah could look past even that to God's deliverance. And so we see that described in Isaiah chapter 60. And really at the center of this song, in the middle of the chapter, we find the heart of what Isaiah is saying to these people. And so verse 14 of Isaiah 60 reads this way. The children of your oppressors will come bowing before you. And I can imagine the people of Judah thinking, what? Now, what are you talking about, Isaiah? Because it surely, certainly doesn't feel that way right now. It feels like everybody's against us and everybody is stronger than we are. And Isaiah says, there's going to be a day when all these people that you think are so powerful and are going to overtake you, they're going to bow at your feet. All who despise you will bow down at your feet and will call you the city of Yahweh, the Old Testament name for God, Yahweh, Zion, of the Holy One of Israel. It's as if Isaiah is speaking to the city of Jerusalem. Now, why the city of Jerusalem? Well, remember, Jerusalem is the capital. It was the capital when there was one nation, Israel. It's the capital of the southern kingdom when it's divided into two different kingdoms. It is the place where the temple of God was located. It was really, in many ways, for the people of Israel, the intersection between heaven and earth. This was the dwelling place of God. So it was as if the most holy place, the place where the, pre, the high priest went only once a year, that's where God lived. And that was where heaven came to meet earth. This was the center of their culture, their nation, their civilization. In their minds, it was the center of the universe because that's where God was dwelling. Okay? But there was coming a day when because of their sin... Because of God's punishment, Jerusalem would be overtaken by their enemies and the temple destroyed. What do you do then? What do you do then when the intersection of heaven and earth is destroyed? That's what the people were grappling with. And Isaiah's word to them is, God will restore. God's going to bring all this back. God's going to come, there's going to come a time when God is going to allow the temple to be rebuilt. So this will be the intersection of heaven and earth once again. So that's where the focus of this song is. It begins with these words back in verse 1. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of Yahweh rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the people's. But Yahweh rises upon you and his glory appears over you. It was as if they could feel the darkness overwhelming them. 
Because everything was getting worse and worse, it was like that darkness was a blanket that was covering them in a, in a powerfully overpowering way. They felt it. But Isaiah says, as overwhelming as that darkness is, God's light is more powerful. God's going to push aside that darkness with the light that he brings into the world. He is going to be present again in the city of Jerusalem. And the psalm, song sort of comes to an end in verse 18. No longer will violence be heard in your land, nor ruin or destruction within your borders. But you will call your walls salvation and your gates praise. The sun will be your light by day, nor will the, uh, the sun will no more be your light by day, nor will the brightness of the moon shine on you. For Yahweh will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Isaiah says you won't even need the sun. The presence of God is so powerful, the sun, moon, and the stars pale in comparison to the light that God will provide in the city of Jerusalem. God is going to bring all of this Back. And as strong as your enemies seem today, and as overpowering as the evil that you've committed seems, God is still at work. <clears throat> God has a plan for the future. God is going to restore what once was, and this will be his dwelling place again. Now we hear that word from Isaiah, this song that the people of Israel would sing, the people of Judah would sing to God. And we go, well, you know what, that, that was good news for them. And that's really awesome that they could experience that. But what does that have to do with us? What does it have to do with us that the people of Israel were going to have a temple in Jerusalem again? Well, here's what I find interesting. This language that Isaiah used many years before Jesus was born, hundreds of years before Jesus was born, became so much a part of the worship language of the people of Israel, of the Jews of the first century, that when they began to think about what God was going to do, this is the language that they used. When we come to the very end of the New Testament, the book of Revelation, and, and when we look at Revelation, some of it is so hard to understand, and I'm right with you, I don't get everything that's happening there, but here's what I do understand. The very beginning, when Jesus talks to the seven churches, and the very end, when we see this picture painted of the new Jerusalem, and we have the same image that God used with Isaiah, and God uses with John as he writes Revelation, of a new city, the city of Jerusalem. Hear what we read in Revelation chapter 21. It begins this way in verses 1 through 3. John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And then this, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. What John sees is very much what Isaiah saw. Only God has taken this and expanded it. Once again, there's going to be a holy city. Once again, there's going to be a dwelling place for God. But not, God is not just going to dwell in the temple God dwells in the city. This city has no temple. Why? 
We are the temple. And John is painting this picture that God showed him of us spending eternity in the presence of God. Not as just that one room in the temple, the intersection between heaven and earth. This whole city where all those who follow Jesus is the intersection of heaven and earth because God will dwell with us. And so we have something to look forward to. Verses 4 and 5. This sort of tells how it relates to each of those individuals. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. I'm making everything new. Everything that seems to have been so negative. All these thoughts of how the world is getting worse and worse and worse. And God says, I'm going to intervene. And there will be a day when all that is pushed aside. And a new way comes into being. And God restores all of creation to what He intended it to be. And all the things that seem to overwhelm us, our mourning and our grief and death itself, are wiped away. And then these words that remind us of Isaiah in verse 11. The city shone with the glory of God and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. You see, once again, the, the light that is God's presence fills the city. Once again, we see no need for sun or moon or stars because God is present. And what it speaks to me is that in a world where hope is so absent, whether it was in the time of Isaiah, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, when things seemed to be getting even worse and were going to get worse, Isaiah could offer hope because God was going to intervene. God was going to restore or whether we're talking about now, when sometimes it things, seems like things are so negative that we can have confidence that God has a plan today. And our hope comes from that plan. Hope comes from trusting God's plan. Now, we live in a world that needs a word of hope. And hope really only comes from God. And there's a couple of truths that I think tie this together. The first is that we've got to trust that God has a plan. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes we do. We look around and we go, man, could this get any worse? And then a year passes and we go, it got worse. Can it get any worse than this? And it feels like it always does. But we as Christians believe God is active. God is present. God is at work today. And he will be at work in eternity. That he has a plan. That he's working things together for that plan. And there's coming a day when God's plan will be fulfilled. And we're going to join him. And we're going to be in that city that Isaiah painted a picture of. That John paints a picture of. Where we're in the presence of God forever. God's got a plan. And you've got to put your hope in God's plan. That's our only source of real hope. You know, there's times when we say to one another when we're in the midst of something that's really bad, we'll say, it's going to be okay. It'll all work out. Sometimes that's true. And honestly, sometimes it's not, right? 
Because sometimes things don't work out the way that we want them to. Sometimes people don't get better. Sometimes the relationship just isn't saved. It happens. But ultimately, ultimately, God is going to work things out. God does have a plan. God is working things according to his purpose. God is going to restore creation to what he intended from the beginning. God is going to be in the city with us, heaven and earth intersecting in that place because we are the temple. God does have a plan and our hope comes from that plan. Here's what I know. We live in a world that is desperate for hope. We live in a world in which people can just watch a little news, check it on TV or read it online. And we see all kinds of reasons not to hope. But it doesn't even take that. People can look in their own lives and see all kinds of crises. And they just feel like it's hopeless. But we, as followers of Jesus Christ, are a people of hope because we believe that God's at work today and we believe that God is at work for eternity. And so we have a responsibility as people of hope to share our hope. We have a responsibility to say God is still at work. And even though we look around and sometimes think that things are not very good, we are still confident that God has a plan and he's working that plan and fortunately we get to be part of it because God has chosen to use us. God has chosen to use us as beacons of hope. And so when people are looking for hope, we should be the first ones to share it instead of the first ones to say, yeah, things are falling apart. It seems hopeless because it's not hopeless because God is still active and present. So today, we have to recognize that our source of hope is God's plan. And we have a responsibility to share that hope. Let's pray together. Now we are so thankful that you're at work in our lives. Right now and for eternity. And God, we're thankful for messages throughout Scripture. In Isaiah, in Revelation, and many other places that remind us that you are a God who has a plan and offers us hope. God, help us to be the kind of people that share that hope. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and continue to worship.